0: Welcome along to another episode of Business Bites here on Gary Talks, and I'm delighted to be joined online by Kevin Hannigan, author of Turning Data into Wisdom. Kevin, thank you for joining us all the way over in Massachusetts. Just before we started recording, I was asking you, what is data? And I said, you know what? This is probably the best way of opening up the conversation, because, again, data can scare people. But as you said to me, it's more than numbers.
1: Exactly. I, so I like talking about like data, data literacy, decision making. And as soon as I say that, half of the audience just puts their head down and like, oh, my God, this guy is going to talk about statistics and, you know, calculus. And and I, I think that's the first point is data is data's a misleading term. People associate it from the years going to schooling of like it's in a math class, it's statistics, it's numbers. It is numbers, but the point is, it's also qualitative. It's surveys, it's focus groups, it's feedback. You know, so I, I encourage the audience: think about decisions you made this week, or you know, today, or whatever. You're processing data or information. You want to buy something on Amazon? You look at reviews. You might not just look at the five star, four star. You might read the feedback. And the the point is, what if you're trying to buy a product and the first re- response you see on Amazon is? this is the worst product known to man. don't ever buy it. What do we want to do? We want to teach people that, okay, that's one perspective, but why did they think it was the worst part? Maybe they thought it was the worst product because they were looking for something different than what you want to look for. So like if it's a coffee pot, maybe they wanted to brew eight cups at once. I want to do a single serving. Maybe they wanted to do ice coffee. This one doesn't. So we want to encourage people. Okay, that's, that's data, but It's only part of the story. Read more reviews, get more perspectives. Anything you're doing today with data, information, whatever, you're going to leverage it. Numbers are scary to people. I promise the audience the deepest we go with mathematics is denominators. If someone can understand what a denominator is, because when you see someone on news or in public speaking or whatever, give a report that says like 60% of the population does this, well, It's important to know 60% is is an average. There's a number on top and a number on bottom. If that number on bottom is 10 people, well, that's different than saying if that bottom is like 10 million people. So that's as deep as we'll go in math as denominators.
0: Also, I think with data as well, and even reviews, you can Google, how does a banana make you lose weight? And that'll give you data. And you might think that just bananas make you lose weight, but you could do it for apples, for cucumbers, for broccoli. Like and it's to understand that something may say this is the right way but something else can contradict it and if we want to find just one answer for something we will find it but sometimes we should investigate the opposite information online as well because we will also find an answer for that
1: i'm so glad you said that because like the the way our brains works fascinates me and there it's great but our brains tend to conform to what we think we believe and so it, it technically it's like confirmation bias so to your Point, I might have a preconceived notion of like bananas are the super fruit that's going to save us all from obesity. And then I go and find a data point, I stop looking because I think I found the answer. To to your point, the way around that is to do what people in like the science field do. So you take like a, a scientist, they'll use the scientific method. They'll say, okay, here's my theory, here's my hypothesis. Let me Not find data that proves it. Let me look for information that disproves it. And then when I can't, I'll assume that it's true. But our brains work the opposite, is we want to find something that validates us because it makes us feel good, and our brain doesn't like conflict, and then we stop. And so part of it is just educating people exactly what you said. Try to disprove it.
0: To simplify it, I think the reality is the future is data.
1: Yes, I literally was just looking at new refrigerators and they're smart refrigerators. like the amount of data it gives me about the temperature going to my phone and the life cycle of the water filter and all this. We we can't avoid it. And the problem is if we if we do avoid it, then we're not going to be able to, thrive in the world today or tomorrow, because it's going to be, like I said, like refrigerator, appliances, internet, everything is driven by that. And that, that is my fear is we don't need the math skills. We need the soft skills. We need to be able to question it. We need to have critical thinking, not that you would question a refrigerator, but you know, my point is like, you see information, you want to say, okay, well, what's missing from that? What situation is that not true? What assumptions are I making? And so even though the world is getting more technical, I actually think the answer is is soft skills, is less technical skills. Not not that everyone needs to learn how to program Python and be a data scientist. It's, it's quite the opposite. It's we need to go back to those uh, what I call you know soft skills like critical thinking, challenging assumptions, listening, stuff like that.
0: So how do we bring all this then into the workplace? It's a
1: great point because the, the I'll, I'll answer in two different ways. That the workplace adds a different complexity on top of it where. You also have to deal with culture. And what I mean by that is like I'm talking about questioning. So, you know, people are gonna sit there and say, okay, I'm gonna follow Kevin's advice. I'm gonna go in next meeting. My boss is gonna say something. I want to question them. Well, if that organization doesn't have a culture that supports that, the boss is gonna be, Kevin, I've been here 50 years. You just got here. What are you talking about? You're fired. You don't know what you're doing. Like they they need to be so I, I think in an organization setting, it starts from the top. Leaders need to be okay having this openness mindset, where it's more of a collaboration instead of a top-down. Outside of that, when you have that set up, you put in processes, frameworks, and places. So one of the things that I'll do, um, we call it a Congress, is whenever we're making strategic decisions, we want to make sure that we have one representative from each stakeholder in the meeting, because we're getting those diverse perspectives. We don't want to over-rotate on one versus the other certain times when we have to come up with an answer, we'll just do simple things like play devil's advocate. We'll, we'll have two separate teams that almost is like a debate against each other because then it gets the rain thinking about more than one alternative. Um, so there's lots of tools and techniques out there. But at the end of the day, it's it's about honing those soft skills, which I said is hard because we don't necessarily use it. Like in the US, we don't, after maybe the our kids start saying why 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 once they get into primary school we don't teach these skills anymore and then so we don't apply them anymore so now we're telling people that maybe 20 30 years of not challenging or being curious or asking why all of a sudden the answer is ask why it's a shock to many people
0: i think that is so 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 important what you're saying because i have always felt that and i've seen it myself where people come out of an education system and they've been taught. To stop thinking they've been taught to regurgitate exactly and that as you say can carry on into the workplace as well
1: it is and it's sad i mean i understand why and you know education should be better but to to measure it sometimes they they have like in us we have standardized tests and so what ends up happening over time is then the teachers teach to the test which Mm -hmm. creates book smart kids but it doesn't necessarily teach kids that can then do critical thinking and applied so I understand why, but you're right, it's, it it isn't done enough in schooling. And then you get to the corporate setting. And as learning and development executives, they're like, oh, my God, how do I upskill and retrain all these people who need these skills that haven't used them for 20 or 30 years? It's a challenge.
0: Because even I find working in a creative industry, the worst thing one can do is see something and say, okay, we're gonna do that for a client, which is just again another form of mirroring or regurgitation, rather than going for that walk through the woods and just thinking, 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 what do they need? How can we deliver it? And I, I suppose with society as well where we have phones in our hands, we you're wondering something, you Google it, you get your immediate answer, you're trying to draft up, you know, three paragraphs and something you put it in chat gbt you get your immediate answer so we're looking for that immediacy which pulls us further away from this whole thing of deep thinking deep critical thinking
1: exactly there's a i don't know who did this but there's people can google it there's some researcher who did something called the marshmallow challenge which which talks about what you're talking about is you get a certain amount of pieces of spaghetti you get some tape and you have a marshmallow and it's a timed experiment working in groups and the goal is the end of the time, see how tall you can build a structure, the, the requirements, the marshmallow has to be on top. So what was fascinating is he would put together executive teams. He would put together business teams. He would put together all of these teams. And then he put together a team of kindergartners. So I mean, U.S. kindergartners are like six, seven, eight years old. Time and time again, the kindergartners outperformed the executives. They outperformed every group except for engineers engineers it's their background and the moral of the story to tie it back to what you said is when you think about it part of it is like you said we all have phones we all have chat gpt but as adults our brains are already full with what we think the world is kids not full so what do the kids do is they question they try it and what would happen on average is when in whatever that time frame let's say it's five minutes kids would come up with 10 different variations and test them the adults the leadership teams the groups would come up with one idea, follow it, think it's the answer, and then it fell and then they have no recourse. They, they lost time. So the moral of the story is it's ChatGPT, it's Google, it's access, but it's as humans, our brains are full so we don't ask why. Kids' brains are empty, which is why they ask why so much. We need to go back and force ourselves to say why and then groups would go back and they would add that process and they would iteratively prototype and test things out The results then exponentially went up with the marshmallows challenge. So, again, the audience can just Google the marshmallow challenge, but it highlights exactly what you're saying. Maybe we should hire more kindergartners in business. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's funny because I was having a conversation with someone earlier today who was in her office and we were talking about marketing. And she was saying she loves bringing people straight out of college in to the marketing department, they usually might do a 12 month internship, but they have that fresh thinking idea. They haven't been molded yet to what the company wants or expects. So you get so many great ideas coming in from them, provided that they are energetic, enthusiastic graduate that you hope to get in the door. Are there tricks or little exercises that we can focus on to make ourselves better at these methods?
1: Yeah, so... There's different frameworks we can follow, different approaches. I mean, at the very simplest level, what I always do is I ask myself when I'm looking at information, in what situation could this information not be true? And it's really powerful because you don't know what you don't know, and that's the problem. But Mm. you can then ask yourself a question where your brain's imagining something that's different. And what that really does a lot of times is that exposes that the data is right, but you have an assumption about the problem statement that's wrong. You can ask a colleague, just say, play devil's advocate with me. In fact, what I've been doing lately is I'll use chat GPT, but instead of using it to create stuff, I will use it to question me. So I'll build a prompt that says, use the Socratic method to question this statement that I have. And I'll make a statement like, my dogs are so all dogs are loud simple example and, and they'll come back and say, well, have you met every dog in the world? Have you got where did you get your data from? Is it trusted sources? So it it's a nice flip of not using it to generate content because it can lie, right? It's it can be biased in the training, but I'm asking it to question me because I don't have that colleague to play devil's advocate before. Just those simple things can kind of trick the brain into, okay, I might have more answers. I might have more out there. So Get diverse perspectives, play devil's advocate, ask someone to question you. If I need to innovate a new idea, I will never have one. I'll always have two because then I don't fall to that confirmation bias we talked about where then my brain's like, okay, this is the answer Kevin wants. Let's find only the stuff that Kevin needs and forget everything else. Then it has to say, okay, well, here's two ideas And it just opens the brain a little bit more to that, okay, there's a wider net out there that we can cast. Um, And it goes all the way to more structured problems. So like you mentioned, Turning Data into Wisdom, one of the books, we have these frameworks. There's one that's like a 30-step framework that makes sure you're asking the right question, you're gathering the right data, you're validating the biases that you have. Um, I think the biggest thing, just take take takeaway, is that all of that depends on and requires the person doing it to be aware that they might have a bias. They might have a wrong assumption. There are people that don't have growth mindsets and mm-hmm. they have a lot of hubris. And so they make a decision and the brain is basically telling them, you're right, Kevin. Don't listen to anyone else. You're right. You need to be able to be aware that that might not be right. Mm-hmm. That's my biggest hurdle I found is people, they don't do it intentionally. They don't do it maliciously. They just don't understand that we all have bias in a data point or an information might not be accurate. It's accurate, but it might be misleading.
0: I've been involved in organizations where people have just surrounded themselves with what we call yes men.
1: Yes, funny, yes, yeah. I mean, it (laughs) it drives me crazy because in organizations, in recruiting and talent development, I'm on the HR side, we, a lot of times, try to hire people that we know are gonna know the process or the tool or the skill. But what we fail to realize, like your point of sometimes we like hiring right out of college, is then you don't get diversity of thought. You're hiring either people that just think just like you and say yes, or you're hiring people that have the exact same ideas as you. You want to bring people in that are different. And it's just hard because people are not used to that. And they're like, Well, I work in software, why would I hire a hardware person? Or I work in marketing, why would I hire someone with no marketing experience? It's It's hard because it seems wrong, but I I actually think it's the way forward.
0: So what advice would you give to people with the information you've gathered and learned uh, and written about in your book? What information would you give people of what they need to implement in maybe their personal lives and the workplace?
1: Yep. Um, So in personal lives, I would just say implement healthy skepticism. Whatever you see intentionally tell your brain it might be misleading. So like COVID, when COVID came out, it's a good example because we didn't know about it before. So it's not like we have all those preconceived notions. We didn't know you could be asymptomatic and but when you see things on the news and in reports and whatever, there are charts where the goal of the chart and I'm not saying it's intentional, but sometimes it is, is to scare people. Like you see a trend that, you know, we said stop the, you know, the curve yeah. That scares people, is have the brain, have you just stop and say, okay, well, let me really understand what it means. So I, I think key takeaway, check the source of the information. Do you trust them? That's going to go a long way because you go on the internet and you could probably hear someone saying something about pretty much anything in every different agree. So trust the source. Having said that, there are times where trusted news sources, trusted advisors, bosses still give you information that's misleading. But it goes back to the question in what situation is this insight misleading? And that'll open the brain up to different assumptions. I'll share a quick personal story because I think it connects with, with the audience. I have four kids, and one of them has special needs. And long story short, he was having issues in school, behavior issues. They called a meeting, an intervention, and they said, You know, your child is having increased. Behaviors we're gonna to have to outplace, which is not good for them, not good for us, not good for my my child. And so I just said, okay, I can't lie, I can't, you know, the data is the data. Behaviors are increasing. But then I'm thinking, in what situation is that misleading? And so I just asked them to give me more context, like what time of day, what day of the week, maybe it's after free periods, maybe it's Mondays, Fridays. Long story short, they gather all the data, they share it with us. And they're about to, you know, kick them out. And I I I looked at the data and I just had this light bulb moment. What was happening is you could tell they would track the behavior, what was happening before, what was the consequence. The consequence for like 90% of them was he would go to the principal's office. So in US, the principal's the disciplinary and you don't like to go. Mm -hmm. It was interesting is my child loves adult attention. So he was doing it on purpose. So we actually went back and asked, and he's like, yeah, dad, it was great. I kicked the teacher. They sent me the principal. She read to me for like an hour is perfect. I, I think I'm gonna kick her again tomorrow. And, and the, the takeaway is the data showed behaviors are escalating, but we didn't ask why. And when we found out why, it was an assumption. The school had done everything right, they had all the data, they had all the analysis, they're gonna expel a kid. And the assumption was kids don't like going to the principal. So it just it just highlights the story that. The data can still be 100% accurate. It can still be you know black and white, but it's our assumptions. It's our biases that lead us down these incorrect assumptions. And this is why diversity is important is they didn't think to challenge that. They must have never seen a child that liked the principal's office. So they needed someone who was an outsider like me to say, well, in my case, they do. If they don't have an outsider, they just need to stop and say, in what situation is this consequence not a consequence is it a reward and then they might have picked up on it so you know it's a little bit sideways but it's a personal story to highlight that that's what we need to do is question challenge and sometimes it involves team sports because i can't question everything because my knowledge system isn't finite it's finite i don't know everything
0: i think what you're saying there is really important kevin because ai is changing things so much that we don't know what's real and what's artificial and then not alone that but we can see how diverse society is getting and how you can have different extremities in news as well where one news source will tell one story and another news source will tell that story from a very different point of view and angle that I think it's so important more than ever, and even that this needs to be brought into the school system, that this is something that you that we should be thinking about as we become adults, but we need to make children so aware to question everything now, and to start having more whys.
1: Absolutely. I mean, a couple of things you said, so like with, uh, with um, different people, different news outlets, take like environmental data, and I don't want to get into political debate, so I'm not taking a side, but there's one side that will show data that's true that you know leads people to think, okay, global warming is real. There's a, another side that will show data that is true that will show, hey, those trends aren't accurate. It, it involves us being critically thinking to draw our own opinion from that. All we get is the input, but it's up to us. And that decision is a little bit easier because it's usually a yes or no. It's usually black and white. There are times where the insight or the action for us might be different for me versus you. Like if we're deciding, hey, where are we going to go on vacation? And it's during COVID, you know, your risk profile might be different than mine. Maybe I have a high needs children or spouse or whatever. And so that's what complicates it is, is sometimes we just want a nice, easy bow on top of it is give me the answer. Well, the answer involves you to critically think how it applies to you and your goals. And my right answer might be different than yours. Again, climate change is different. It it applies to all of us. But things that we make in personalizing decisions, we need to challenge it. We need to be critical about it. And we need to relate it to what's important to
0: us. It is so hard to get the correct information. I mean, when I set up a TikTok account, I know TikTok read your thumb movements and everything like that so they can figure out the algorithm that's most suited to you. And there was one theory about the earth being flat or something like that and obviously i just lingered on that video for a few more seconds than something else so all of a sudden i'm being bombarded with theories that the world is flat and if you were to google online for instance is the world flat you'll get loads of things saying it is and then if you say is the world a globe and around you'll get loads of things saying it is and it's what is the factual information what is true and so on it's it's a minefield isn't it
1: it is and just not to overwhelm and blow everyone's mind too but like with that one too maybe it's less you know gray but the way you ask the question and the way you define things is also important so maybe both people are right if someone's definition of flat is different than my definition that might be hard to call me because flat is flat but like again go back to a COVID example when they show charts sometimes they show confirmed cases well that's different than positivity rate that's di- so like what i mean is like the words matter that's being used and there are times where the data is the data but our interpretation or what it means to us is going to be look at the text, look at the title, and what does that really mean? And sometimes it's the title that's misleading to us. Not saying that flat could ever really be something other than flat, but in in scenarios where it's not that black and white, it's because we don't understand the definition used. And that's why people will see two different stories. A lot of times it's the same thing, but they're defining the things differently.
0: Yeah, and it's true. And I suppose if we're trying to be David's advocate and we're questioning certain things to possibly get the opposite result, even though we don't want the opposite result, we might subconsciously be putting in certain terminology there that won't give us the opposite result, if that makes sense. It
1: does. Absolutely. And that's where the question again. So then, like I would say with that example, I would say, okay, well, just to be safe, how are you defining flat? What does that mean to you? And, And maybe they're not talking about a geometric shape. Maybe they're meaning it's flat, like it's not growing or something that i wouldn't comprehend typically but again that's why the whole questioning critical thinking is totally important
0: yeah excellent i think there's so many great insights people can get from this finally where can people get your book turning data into wisdom
1: yeah um go on amazon or feel free to linkedin i think uh there might be two kevin hannigans but i'm the one that has turning data into wisdom in the title Um, I have a website, turningdataintowisdom.com, where you can get supporting material like articles, frameworks, a lot of the stuff we talked about, like questioning frameworks, how do you be critically thinkers? There's a lot of resources there people can download for free. So check that out.
0: And just as a final thing, like you, you talk a lot about implicit bias as well. So I think this is where this isn't just information and a book for people in a certain category. This is something that we can all truly learn from? I
1: think so, because we all have bias. And I think that's the first step is, you know, I go and do this in person and people won't admit it, but there's probably 20% of the group that's like, nope, I don't have bias. Those are the people I really want to target because it's it's lack of awareness, right? They need to realize that this exists. And less important to learn all the names and types and stuff, it's most important to be, hey, this is how our brains work. This is why decisions and data might be and information might we might be susceptible to it that's the best start if we can get that far i think we're going to be in a much better place
0: kevin hannigan thank you so much for joining me on the show thanks it's been
1: a pleasure thanks for having me